There it is. There it is. All right, we're here. We're back. Round three, everybody. Round three of uh, the podcasting today. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a machine. It happens. I don't know. But today, we're going to have a super awesome special guest, trauma therapist, Dr. Tiffany Ruelas. So uh, hang on, and we'll have some fun. Practicing polyamory. Real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Uh, If you're tired of hearing me today uh, three times, I know it's okay. I'm done for the week. We won't be back until next Monday. So before we jump into this episode, just three things that I want to remind you of, again, if you don't mind, uh, go to YouTube and do a search for the Practicing Polyamory podcast and hit that subscribe button. I'm this close. I just need a few more subscribers so that I can get my own custom URL and I won't have to tell people. I can tell people, go to youtube.com slash practicing Instead of, you know, whatever crazy thing that they've got going on right now. Also, while we're talking about it, follow me on all social media at Practicing Polyay. I would really appreciate wherever it is that you uh, prefer to find me. Number two, really excited about this. Next Friday, I'm going to have an interview with Dr. Eli Sheff. So uh, once again, go to www.bondingproject.com. Take that bonding type test to get an idea of your bonding style because we are going to be talking about that next Friday and uh, it's going to be beneficial for you to know what the heck we're talking about. And the last thing, as always, a big reminder to anybody who's listening, everybody out there, if you are actively polyamorous, uh, polyam curious, if you're a professional serving the polyamorous community, whatever your situation there, I want to hear your story. doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, queer, lesbian, trans, NB, ace, arrow, whatever it is, we want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the more representation we have, the more the world learns about us and we can better serve our community. All right, that's that spiel. Now, the fun part, to introduce our guest. Our guest today is a polyamorous trauma therapist who's passionate about helping folks who feel othered, be it people in non-monogamous relationships, those in the LGBTQIA community, or adolescents dealing with sexual trauma and dating violence. Over the years, she's developed her skills in motivating and guiding individuals and polycules of various configurations, Vs, triads, quads, etc., to improve communication within the relationship. When she's not working in her mission to change AZ, she loves to do rope, scuba dive, dance, and travel to experience new cultures, though the past year has been limiting on some of those fronts. If there's one big lesson that she learned about polyam, it's to see successful relationships as great experiences as opposed to how long they last. I'm so excited to bring a a guest who really wants to make a positive impact in the world. Joining us today from changeaz.org, welcome to the show, Dr. Tiffany Ruela. <laughs> Dr. Ruela, it's Tiffany. Thank you so much for joining today. How's it going? It's going really well. Thank you so much for having me. That was a very nice intro. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's my one skill. You know, I, I, I'm i a pretty decent writer. So, you know, I do all right with that. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about your mission to change AZ. 
Yeah, so I, um, I've been practicing therapy for almost a decade and I've, it's been really difficult as a couples therapist to see how things um, can be done and can succeed and then are kind of stifled by society, insurance companies, things like that. And so um, with my PhD in community psychology, I decided, you know what, I can put that to good use and make a nonprofit organization where the therapist can get paid what they should be getting paid, their worth, their value. And I can also help tons of people who maybe don't have a lot of places to go for help. And the places that they do have a lot of times are not very affordable. So I try to make the world a better place. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I forgot to warn you about our movie clips, but yeah. Yeah, making so the world that's, a better place. that's it. Making the world a better place. That's exactly what I want to do. And I figured, well, I might as well start with my hometown in Arizona. That's perfect. I love it. I love it. It really is amazing to me how, I don't know, our society is just, there's, there's all these barriers. Like there's so many people that need help and there's just so many ways. You know, I, I talk about this a lot. Um, first of all, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So, uh, I have to, in one sense, have like a capitalistic mindset, right? I'm in the insurance space, by the way. Um, but by the same token, my brother's always getting after me because I'm a socialist also, right? Like I, I, I just, I believe that there's so many resources out there. There's so much, uh, possibility that we could literally, if we wanted to, we could solve world hunger. We could solve homelessness. We could do all of these different things. We could provide as a society, uh, the mental health, medical benefits, like everything that people need, like the resources are there. So, you know, a huge shout out and, 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 congratulations to you for the things that you're doing. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) In, in your work, uh, you mentioned that you've been working with couples, but you uh, obviously are also working with uh, folks that are non-monogamous. I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. Um, What, if any, are some differences that you see in the issues that monogamous couples have versus polyamorous ones? Uh, The biggest difference, to be honest with you, is communication. I feel like um, I feel like a lot of people will come to me who are in the polyam community who already have like really good grounding and basis for communicating with one another. It's kind of like a necessity when you (laughs) when you decide, like, I'm going to go into more than one relationship, Um, whereas when I'm just working with couples, uh, big differences, I will get a couple coming to me who has almost no structure for communication. And so Mm -hmm. I'm working with a couple. My primary focus is let's get you to a point where you can communicate. My my practice with polyam individuals or couples or triads or quads or anything, um, usually they have the communication piece down and it's a lot more about how do I regulate the emotions around XYZ? How do I regulate my emotions around feeling like I don't have enough time with my partner? How do I regulate my emotions around um, feeling like I am getting the amount of time, but not the quality, right? There's Mm -hmm. a lot of different versions of the same thing, but a lot of it's like, Uh, around emotion based and those things are already being communicated to the partners but they're 
they're having trouble regulating themselves. That makes a lot of sense. It's like we we do a pretty good job of discussing the rules and parameters and like, hey, you know, you've got these nights and I've got these nights or the communication in all of these different things because it's like we practice it, we preach it, communication, communication, communication. I mean, that's right. That's what it's all about. But that time management piece or the quality of the time that, that is spent, that's that's a, a specific challenge. Right. How do you help people in non-monogamous relationships, polyam relationships, find that quality that they're looking for in the time that they spend with their partners? That's a great question. I think a lot of it has to do with balance, right? So I'm uh, I'm a contextual family therapist and relational therapist. And basically what that means is I, I have very, a very heavy focus on um, fairness in a relationship and the balance in a relationship. And that can be any relationship, parent-child, uh, lover-to-lover, friend, right? Like friendships. But um, I think that finding the balance in your own life is really important. So making sure that you have time with your friends, you have time with each of your partners, and you have time for yourself. Now, when you're when you're looking to spend that time with your partners, and really trying to make the quality come out of that, it's going to be important for each partner to know like what is quality to them. Right. Like um, you might want to spend your time cuddling with me on the couch and uh, watching TV, whereas my other partner might want to go rock climbing with me. What does quality time mean to me? Do both of those things equal quality time? And so really finding what the individual partner needs and means by quality time and then finding compromises within that. Like, well, we can spend some of our time watching TV on the couch and we can spend some of our time going rock climbing. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I remember early on uh, in my relationship, there was a lot of that, a lot of that stuff that we had to figure out as well. Uh, I remember uh, my wife and I, we would go like spend time with her family. Right. And so she thought that that was quality time, but I'm like, no, like that's, that's just spending time with your family. Like I want quality time, just us. And so, so what I see from that and what I, what I hear from that is that there's a lot of introspective work that we each need to do as individuals to figure out what is important to us when it comes to getting quality time from our partners. So in that, in that vein, in that in that general direction, what are some uh, things that we can do to do that? What are some strategies that we can utilize to start doing that introspective work and finding out those answers for ourselves, becoming more self-aware? Yeah, not to sound like a very traditional therapist, but journaling <laughs> is going to be kind of great for that. Um, I think that knowing your patterns, knowing your habits is going to be really crucial, really important. So uh, the reason I say journaling isn't so much to to go journal every day like you're talking you know, to yourself in a diary, but instead saying like, oh, I really enjoyed doing this today. And what was your level of enjoyment? Also, you have to take into consideration that you may not enjoy it depending on your mood. So I am not always going to enjoy going swimming. I mean, I love swimming, 
but I'm not always going to enjoy it if I'm feeling kind of down or I'm feeling like really low energy or a lot of fatigue. Um, swimming might not be something that I want to do that day. So it takes time to know yourself, know your moods and your patterns. And then that added layer of I don't want to do certain things with certain people, right? Like I might love rock climbing by myself, but I might have a friend who goes rock climbing with me or a partner who goes rock climbing with me and all they do is like talk my head off. And some days that might be great. And other days I'm like, I want the silence and the serenity uh, to ground myself with nature, right? And so it's gonna be important as you're doing that self work to really identify like, what are my moods when I'm enjoying certain things? And do I always enjoy those things or is it just very specific times? So that's what I mean by journaling is really just taking note, even if it's mental note about how you're feeling in that moment, what that's like for you to experience, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and then also being open to new experiences is so important. Uh, not just putting something down because you think that it's not for you, right? I've heard so many people say like, I don't want to go swing dancing because I hate that music and I just don't like dancing. Well, you don't like dancing how, right? Like you don't like going dancing at the club because that's very different than going swing dancing with right. someone right. Who's flipping you in the air, right? Yep, yep. So, um, so being open to those new experiences can be really important for self-discovery in finding different passions and finding different things that you could categorize as quality time with a partner. I love that. I I. I I think that I am someone who is open to new experiences. A lot of people out there, though, aren't, right? Like, uh, they talk about that spoon theory all the time. Like, people don't have the spoons for going and doing this and going and doing that. They're very introverted. They're, you know, very much homebodies. For people like that who who don't necessarily have the energy of going out and doing all of these things – do we have any strategies specifically for those folks? So for a lot of people who, um, for a lot of people who don't really want to open themselves up to new experiences or who will say, I know what I like and this is it. Um, that's, that's okay. Right. Because you've already done that self work. And if you, feel like that's it, then maybe that's it for now. It doesn't mean you won't have growth in the future, but to do that introspection for yourself, um, I think finding lists, there's like, there's something called the big list of pleasurable activities. And it's like 183 different things that you could do when you're feeling bored. Um, but you can literally Google like 500 hobbies to do today. And that will give you a lot of like opportunity to find growth if you feel stagnant, even as an introvert, right? Because you don't have to be out doing something all the time. You can be in doing something new. You can be in doing something the same in a new sort of way. Mm -hmm. So all of that is going to be important to take into account as well. It's like playing a new video game or playing or, or I don't know, new board games, new puzzles, new cooking, new crafts, all these right. different things. What, what was that resource? The big list of what? I think it's called the big list of pleasurable activities, if I'm remembering right. I love it. I love it. I'm just going to post that up here so that people can see it. Uh, definitely check that out. I 
why not? I mean, you never know the things that, that you might enjoy. You never know the things that you, uh, that you don't realize that you like. Um, trying to think of something that I was like, I didn't know that I like this. Uh, spicy food is like my recent one. Uh, I, I, for the longest time as a kid, I hated spicy food. I was like 16, 17 years old and I wouldn't eat pepperoni because it was too spicy. Like, <laughs> but recently things have changed. Things have changed. Thank God. Now uh, you eat pepperoni. Uh, no, now. <laughs> <laughs> Now you at least eat spicy food, something. But you know, now I actually like spicy food, uh, and you know, just in time. It happened just in time because I started dating somebody who uh, loves loves spicy food, uh, and you know, I kind of came to that realization like within the first month or so of us dating, and now we can enjoy foodie together. Anyway, <laughs> that's great. That's good quality time that you guys get to have, right? It's it's so good, so good. Uh, so tell me a little bit more. Uh, I, I want to know a little bit more about like some similarities and some differences. Uh, communication is obviously a big one. Time management is another one for uh, for our polyamorous folks. What are some other things that maybe? And you know what? Let me let me rephrase it. What are some things that you see that are very much the same across the board, right? Because it doesn't matter. And this is what I what I'm what I'm kind of trying to get to here is that whether we're polyamorous or monogamous, a lot of us deal with the same types of traumas. A lot of us deal with the same types of emotions and struggles and all of these things. We just happen to date other people. So that's that's kind of the message that I'm trying to get to is, hey, we're the same as everybody else. So what are some things that you see that are across the board pretty much the same? You already said one of them, and that's trauma, right? I think um, I I have met so many therapists who feel like or who have prejudgments about uh, polyamorous people where, oh, you must have been more traumatized or you must have. They, they really try to um, they really try to make polyamory kind of like an issue, right? An mm -hmm. issue that you have. And that's just not the case where, um, where everybody <laughs> experiences trauma, like pretty equally. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, adverse childhood experiences, right? Like your parents divorcing, um, you seeing a, a main person, one of your primary caregivers in the household um, being physically, emotionally, psychologically abused, you being abused in some way, um, sexual traumas, all of that is pretty much the same, whether you're monogamous or polyamorous. Um, affairs are one of the things that a lot of people don't think are kind of the same. And they, they are like people, a lot of times will think that if you're polyamorous, you don't like affairs are not a thing. Well, right. They are a thing because affairs just means that you're going behind your partner's back, not telling them what's going on and cheating on them with someone else. Uh, the polyamorous community is more open with having multiple partners, multiple loves, but it's still a betrayal. It's still a betrayal of trust. It's still hurtful. It's still painful. And, um, and that's something that I think you can you can pretty much count on if your if your partner lies to you, you feel hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't matter which partner. If you 
uh, one of the other things is the end of a relationship, right? There's still a grieving period or a mourning period, whether it's monogamous or polyamorous. And so that one is the same as well, though it can show up in different ways. Um, because I think in the polyamorous communities, you will end a relationship and a lot of times you get support from either your other partners or mm -hmm. your friends. Um, monogamous monogamous relationships are essentially the same where you go for your friends. But um, going back to the affairs piece, sometimes when your partner makes you end that relationship that you cheated with, in the polyamorous community, the difference is that partner may still be hurt. They may still have to make the choice to stay with you, but they're more understanding that you still have have a relationship to grieve there. Whereas in monogamous relationships, it's seen very difficult to ask the person who ended that relationship to not grieve, right? Like you don't get to grieve that person because you hurt me. And so those are differences, but I think that the hurt and the pain is still the same. That is so interesting. I hadn't actually thought about that. So basically, like, if I was having an affair with somebody and my partner finds out, I end that affair and there's a grieving period there in a monogamous relationship, I'm expected to not grieve that loss but in a polyamorous one, there's a little bit more understanding there. Is that by basically what you? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That, yeah, I hadn't even thought about it, that, but that's that's true. I mean, we do, I guess, give each other uh, a little bit of space there, a little bit of leeway and, and some understanding. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, because we were kind of going back and, and you know, I kind of want to push this, this, this idea, this theme of, you know, we're just like everybody else. So do you see... In, in your practice, do you see that, you know, there are more instances or less instances of that infidelity, of that divorce, of that trauma that leads people to being non-monogamous? Do you see like that that's, that's like a, a pattern in any way or is it just kind of 50-50 flip of the coin? Yeah, so <laughs> there's a there's a big difference. I think that infidelity happens like significantly less in polyamorous relationships um, because it's kind of like, what's the point? It's only when you feel like you're backed in, maybe not only, but what most of the time what I see is people feel backed into a corner. And so then they might end up having an affair or a relationship that their partner doesn't know about. Um, whereas monogamous relationships feel more cornered. There was another part to your question. Can you say it again? I'm sorry. Yeah, just kind of trying to to track, like, do people, uh, does their childhood trauma lead people to be polyamorous? I guess that's basically kind of where I'm going with it. So I'm going to say no. <laughs> I, um, and I'm going to say that with the stipulation that I have not found research that shows that. I have not done my own research that shows that. And I see I see trauma happen regardless, right? Like childhood trauma can lead you one direction or it doesn't lead you one direction or the other. It leads mm -hmm. you whatever direction you are probably meant to go anyways. Now, the, there's, there definitely has been research to show that in the kink community, but um, where trauma actually does not equal kink, 
it goes the other way. So I'm thinking my own hypothesis, I suppose, is that trauma does not lead people to polyamory. Um, I love that. So, yeah. so there actually are, uh, there is research out there though that, uh, that says or indicates that trauma does not necessarily mean that somebody's going to be kinky later on. That's right. Actually, what's been shown to happen is that 33% of, if I'm remembering that number right, it's about a third um, of people in America are kinky or some type of kinky. And I something like that. Yeah, and and of those people, the they tend to have healthier relationships. They tend to have um, more open communication, less affairs, and less trauma in their history. Wow, less trauma in their history. Mm-hmm. Less Interesting. Trauma. Communication, 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 and consent. Right, like yes. that's what it's that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Changing gears a little bit, let's let's bring this a little bit, uh, you know, more more personal. Tell me about the past year, how things have changed for your practice and for the way that you uh, are treating patients um, for yourself, and then kind of dive into how. You know what? Let's just start with that. Let's just start with that. Tell me a little bit about how how things have changed for you and your practice and the way that you're seeing patients. Yeah, so my practice is actually new. I um, I was doing, uh, like I said, I've been a therapist for a long time in group private practices um, and as a contract therapist, but I started Change AZ in August. So amidst the pandemic, everything's going on. And I decided uh, because I came, came from, um, I went to high school in a very small town in Arizona. And so there, when I moved back to help my family, um, there was not any therapists out where I lived. And so I was the only therapist for six entire townships. And, um, and so going through that process, I saw what it did to those communities, what COVID did to the communities and being unable to go into the office actually led me to say, why, why would I go into the office? Like I can help the rural areas of Arizona without them having to leave their home mm-hmm. and I'll have to deal with internet struggles, but you know, it's better than them having to drive two hours round trip just to come see me for 50 minutes. Right. Um, and so that that was one part of what led me to even start change is I want to help rural Arizona and especially those people in the communities where I don't know if you know much about rural Arizona, but it tends to be very um, it tends to be very conservative and mm-hmm. not always open to polyamory or kink or any of that, um, LGBTQIA plus. And so I said, you know what, let me try to reach those, right? Let me try to reach the people in rural Arizona who feel like they have no one and who feel like they, they maybe can't make it through this. And I can at least try to help those people. And so my business has actually been going really well. I'm full right now. Um, I'm I'm trying to start and open new groups and teen emotion regulation groups and COVID support groups and things like that. Um, but it, it just, it took off because there is a need, there is a lot of, a lot of need. And so mm-hmm. um, even with COVID, I think 
especially because of COVID, people started realizing, wow, it's really difficult to, um, it's difficult to find help. It's difficult to find good help. It's difficult Mm -hmm. to find accepting help. Um, And and so I'm glad to be there and it's going well. I'm glad that you're there and providing that that resource, uh, especially to those who, you know, are marginalized in all these different ways, because that you know, th- these are the folks that that need it the most. Yeah. Uh, the second part of, of my question uh, is kind of, you know, when I when I'm talking to uh, yourself and and other mental health uh, professionals that are going to be on the show here, you know, one of the things that I keep hearing is, man, we're we're busy, like we're crazy <laughs> busy right now. Yeah. Um, so m- what I wanted to ask about was. Yeah, everybody's busy because so many people need help. What are some things that you're seeing that people are struggling with? And what is some of the advice that you're providing for them? So I would say the biggest thing right now is anxiety. People are, their anxiety is just like through the roof. They are listening to every piece of media. They are listening and watching, you know, everything that's going on with the COVID numbers. They're concerned about the fact that like, if they're young, most of them are concerned about the fact that their friends just aren't caring as much as they are. Um, a lot of, a lot of them feel like my friends are caring too much. Uh, some of them are, who are a little bit older are saying, you know, I'm wearing masks, but people around me aren't. What do I do? I feel like I'm going to, if I get this, I'm going to die. So anxiety has just like skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Then you add in the the fear, right? The anxiety and the fear, you add that in with isolating and depression has also just really increased. And um, I don't mean like depressive episodes or, or anything so clinical. I just mean people are feeling really sad, really down, extremely low motivation. Um, and so one of the things I will say is to not watch as much news. <laughs> I feel like um, that automatically leads to anxiety. It automatically will shift you one direction or the other, especially because it's very polarized. Mm-hmm. And we need each other right now. We need we need to have one another, even if we can't physically be there. And luckily, things are opening up a little bit more. Anxiety is coming down a little bit. So I can I can see that it's getting a little better in comparison to where we were in December even. But um, yeah, that that's one thing I tell people is like, okay, you can be informed, but you don't need to watch the news every single day. Right. You don't need to watch it every minute. You don't need to have it at your fingertips in your phone and be constantly searching. Um, so just kind of like separate yourself from that. Also thinking about the statistics as they are in like real world numbers, right? So think about about it in terms of like you're in 98% of people are okay. And you don't have to go out there and like throw caution to the wind. You can still be cautious, but reducing that anxiety, give yourself the real numbers. Think about the hundred people around you, right? A hundred people that you might know and say 98% of them are okay. And of that 98 of that, of the two that aren't, you know, one and three quarters of them will be okay. Right. Three quarters. Cause a hundred people, but um, sure. yeah. <laughs> so, so really putting it to your life and showcasing like it will be okay. This, 
really sucks. Yes. And we need to be careful. We want to be careful, you know, following the CDC guidelines, doing things that you can do um, for yourself to protect you, to protect others, but go, go be with other humans, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's so, so, so important for mental health. Yes. Safely, safely, safely be with other humans, right? If you can have a pod, be with your pod. Like if you can, if you can find four people that are kind of like-minded like you, that's going to be for right now enough um, because at least you're not alone. I love that. You, you, you say, uh, you know, bringing the real numbers into it and just off the top of my head, you know, trying to think of a hundred people that I know that are like really, really close to me. I mean, I'm Mexican. I got a pretty big family. So, you know, I can think of a good number of uh, probably, you know, 50 that I'm just related to. Right. Right. But then beyond that, trying to list like all of these different friends and, you know, friends of friends. And, you know, I, in my head, I like start going through my Facebook list, you know, and a hundred people that's, that's quite a bit. Right. And out of that hundred, 0.25 or you know a quarter of a person is 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 not going to be okay i mean it's still you know in our family we we had a a, a big loss uh you know last month it's still still raw uh still still you know hurts um but you know by that same token to to give people that space to really just put a list of 100 people that you know together right, right? right. like that's just trying to put that list together is working up. <laughs> right, exactly. And and it's unfortunate, right, that even a quarter of a person, right, is too much for us. And that's right. understandable. That's why you're cautious, right? That's why you do it safely. That's why you take whatever precautions you can take is for that quarter of a person out of those hundred. But then you add in by the thousands, right? I'm mm-hmm. saying start at a hundred, then go to a thousand, right? And then go to a couple thousand. And now you're seeing like the actual impact that this might have on your life is pretty small. And the impact, even of those small things, it still hurts. It's still hard to go through. You don't need to minimize that piece of it, but that's why you're cautious, right? That's why we're safe. And so not completely stopping your life and, and just staying inside and, you know, essentially like pausing. We don't need to hit the pause button. You can keep moving forward. You can still make goals. I tell a lot of my, a lot of my clients, like make a vision board for yourself for this year, things that are doable for you. I'm a traveler. You you said it at the beginning. I love to travel. So COVID has like been really, really difficult. I get antsy every single month. I get antsy and I need to go somewhere. And it's been like that my entire life. Like even as a kid, I was like, let's go. And my parents were like that. So probably why I'm like that. But um, but with COVID, I can't just go. And so I have to think, all right, well, I'm going to take a trip up, the, up to Mount Lemon or I'm going to take a trip up to Flagstaff. And I try to think of the much smaller things that I can do and say, all right, I'm only limiting myself to like two gas stations, right? And I'm going to take hand sanitizer and my mask and I got all of that so I can be cautious and still go, right? Because I can't just hit the pause button. I need to travel. So if Mm -hmm. I can't travel across the world, I'm going to travel through the state. 
I so love it. it's finding your goals, finding your vision and putting that into practice so that you can feel more empowered while all of this is going on. It's perfect. That's perfect. Dr. Ruelas, Tiffany, thank you so much for uh, everything that you've provided, all, all this knowledge. Uh, before we head out, I want to give you an opportunity um, let the people know, uh, anybody who's listening specifically, we do have a lot of people listening on a podcast. How can people get in touch with you if they want to work with you? Oh, yeah. So you can just go to my website. It's actually listed below www.changeaz.org. And um, there is referral pages all over the place. If you want to volunteer with us, we're taking volunteers. If you need help, just fill out that form. If you're in Arizona, we can help you. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, we change AZ and I think Twitter might be change AZ. Um, so find us through those platforms. And if you need help, you can message us on any one of those and we will get back to you. Um, I say within 24 hours. Awesome. Thank you so much again for your time, Dr. Ruelas. Uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and to learn a little bit from you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when you're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same cannot be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid those commercial inter interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday at 2.30 Pacific or sign up for Patreon where you get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show don't forget to head over to uh, bondingproject.com between now and March 26th so that you'll know what Dr. Eli Chef and I are talking about. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube at Practicing Polyamory. That side, there we are. At Practicing Polyamory uh, on all social media. Search for Practicing Polyamory Podcast on YouTube. Uh, and again, thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Dr. Ruelas. Thank you, everybody. Uh, enjoy this awesome. I'm going to switch this up right there. Business bros, uh, enjoy the awesome uh, St. Patty's Day. Have yourself a green beer and have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash